0: Hi, my name is Caitlin, and welcome to The Gospel House. Our mission here at The Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ.
1: 4, we're going to take a deeper look into a topic that we touched on last week. Funny how all of these chapters fit together, isn't it? It's almost like there's a bigger picture involved here. But last week, we talked about our borrowed righteousness, right? You remember that? I think it was point two. We talked about how our righteousness as Christians has to be borrowed. So today, we're going to blow that up. Not blow it up as in a bad thing, blow it up as in bigger picture, right? And we're going to talk about credited righteousness because that's what Romans 4 is all about. Credited righteousness. We do not possess any righteousness on our own. None. And, and if you are walking in righteousness, now it can, you can call it righteousness, well, I'm doing all the right things, but if you're doing it in your strength, it's not righteousness as God calls it righteousness. In order for it to be pleasing to God, Right, and that's what we want to do. That's what the Christian life is all about. How do I please God? And the answer is not do right things. The answer is walk in obedience to Him, and the Holy Spirit will lead you into the right things you are supposed to do. Right? What's God say? He says in the Old Testament. This is this what got King Saul in big trouble. I I won't break it down because we don't have time, but God told King Saul, I desire obedience over sacrifice, right? We can sacrifice all we want. You can go back in the backyard right now, we'll have a bunch of people bring some cows and we'll kill them all and we'll say, hey, look what we just did for the Lord. And everybody will probably get news stations here because that would be weird. But if God didn't tell us to do it, what are we doing, right? And I'm afraid we've got Christians running around all over the place like chickens with their heads cut off. Well, we've got to serve the poor. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to have this event. We've got to do this event. We've got to have a worship night. We've got to do discipling. we got to do. And God hasn't told them to do any of it. It's what we think is best. Well, this is what a Christian should look like. And we take God out of the equation. And let's face it, it's nicer that way, right? Because when God's out of the equation, I get to control it, right? If I take God out of the equation, then the gospel house does whatever Jeremy says. And if I don't want to have a worship night on every Wednesday, then I don't have to have a worship night. Fits my schedule a lot better. But that's not what God says. That's not pleasing to God. To please God, we must walk in obedience. We must walk in his borrowed or credited righteousness. And that is exactly what Abraham did. Abraham is a character from the book of Genesis, and he gets talked about a lot. Paul brings him up very specifically here in Romans 4, and he talks about this incredible verse that we get in Genesis 15, 6. It's a a foundational verse to our faith. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's foundational for our faith, and Paul's going to talk about this today. We believe God, and God extends, it's it's like a credit card, right? A holy credit card. We believe God, and God gives us his righteousness as credit, right? That's that's the transaction. And and honestly, y'all, it's kind of an unfair transaction, isn't it? Right? All I got to do is believe God. But it's a little harder than it seems, isn't it? It's a little harder than than oh yeah, yeah, just believe God. It's all going to work out, right? It's not always that easy. Now, some of you know uh, if you've been here for a little while. I have a soft spot in my heart for Genesis 15. Uh, it is probably the passage of the Bible. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, I heard him preach on it, and it absolutely changed my walk with Jesus. Like I go back, you know how as, as like a believer you go back and you f- there's these benchmarks in your walk, and you're like, that moment I changed. That moment I changed. That moment. The first time I heard Genesis 15 broken down, it rocked my world. So I've got a soft spot for Genesis 15. Uh, we actually did an entire sermon on it. I think it was our Christmas sermon series. The very first sermon in our Christmas sermon series. So if you want the whole thing, you can go back and look at that. We'll touch on it a little bit today. But we're going to hit on Genesis 15 because Paul hits on it here. But it's at Genesis 15:6. Abram believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord. Abram is Abraham, for those of you who are curious and think that I just goofed up. He believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. And guess what happens when we believe the Lord? He credits us as being righteous, as righteous as he is. So let's look at these three things. These are the three things that Paul shows us in Romans 4. He shows us a lot more than three things, but we're going to talk about these three. First, we'll look at Abraham's righteousness. Second, we are going to look at our righteousness. And then third, we will look at God's credit system. So first up, let's take a look at Abraham's righteousness. Abraham pops up a lot in the Bible, not just in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, he's referred to a lot. Number one, he's a pretty important character, right? He is the father of our faith. You know the little children's song? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. I'm going to sing the whole thing. No, I'm just kidding. We know the song, right? But there's a reason that the kids sing that song, because Abraham is the father of faith. And we are not just talking about faith to the Jewish people. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. Yes, but much more than that. And in Genesis 15, this is why it's such an impactful verse. God makes a promise or a covenant with Abraham. And that that promise is like a safety net. So God makes lots of covenants in the Old Testament, lots of promises. He makes promises in the New Testament too. but But he makes these covenants and these covenants apply in these different situations. And here's what's incredible God has never broken a promise, right? Y'all know that? God has never broken a promise, not once. And so we can trust that God will never break a promise. So when we go back and look at these covenants that God made with his people, we can stand on these things like bedrock foundational things because God has never broken a promise. And this Abrahamic covenant, this covenant that he makes with Abraham, this is the promise covenant of all covenants he makes there's a covenant that God makes before this with Noah where he he sends the rainbow y'all know the story the rainbow and says I'll never again flood the earth that's a pretty important covenant because God's promising he's never going to kill us all again I like that one I don't know about you but next to that the Abrahamic covenant comes next and it is like this safety net that y'all Christian if you realized you would be fallen into this net over and over and over again. And that's why I am in love with Genesis 15, because it is so powerful when we understand how thoroughly God catches us when we screw up, how thoroughly God is there for us and holds us secure. And so... Th- That's what this Abrahamic covenant is all about. It's it's vital for us to understand for both Jews and Gentiles because we all come from Abraham. Now, you can read all of Abraham's story in Genesis chapters 11 all the way through 25. I'm not going to cover all of those this morning, so don't worry. But we are going to talk about this passage from Hebrews. Hebrews. Uh, in Hebrews 11, Abraham is listed in this, it's often referred to as the hall of faith. It's like a hall of fame of faith for all of these people throughout the Bible who did these incredible things in faith for the Lord. Abraham actually gets a pretty big chunk of this hall of faith. Lots of other characters get named, but Abraham gets a pretty big passage. So let's check it out. This is Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. It says, By faith... Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he left, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God." By faith even Sarah that's Abraham's wife herself received ability to conceive even beyond her proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised therefore even from one man and one who was as good as dead at that there uh, there were born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number and as the innumerable grains of sand along the sea- seashore All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country, which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country." that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received the promises was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, through Isaac your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. Now, quick recap if you don't know the story of Abraham. Abraham is promised by God. You will have children, and your children will become as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham makes it all the way to year 99 and hasn't seen a single child yet. He had a child, but it was an illeg- like illegitimate child. It wasn't the child of the promise, right? Hasn- hasn't seen a child yet. So Abraham's 100 years old. You guys know many 100-year-olds who become fathers at the ripe old age of 100? Right? There's a reason it says Abraham was considered as good as dead. Sarah was just a couple years younger than him. She's not supposed to have kids anymore. And then Isaac is born to them miraculously, this child of the promise, which makes it even more incredible that God then tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love, and Abraham says, okay. Can you imagine? That's incredible, right? Because that's the child of the promise. Hold on a second, God. You told me I was going to be a father to many. If I kill this child, right? You get the logic there, right? And he, d- he does it. He, he goes through all the way up to the very point. The knife's ready to go, and God stops him. And says, Stop, Abraham. And he spares his son. But what we learn from Hebrews here is that Abraham believed that even if he were to kill Isaac, that God would bring him back, that God would raise him from the dead. And this is such an incredible recap of all of Abraham's story, of his whole thing. Every step along the way, God says to Abraham, Do this. And Abraham says, Okay, where are we going, God? And God says, "I'll tell you when you get there." And Abraham goes. Y'all, that's incredible faith. That is incredible faith, and I'm afraid it really exposes in our culture today a big problem with Christians. Because we are so this is there's this problem that we have today with with mod. This is how modern prophecy is, you know, prophets today in Christianity and everything. You know, they prophesy very specific events that are going to happen in the future. You know, like, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to win this election, and da-da-da-da-da. When you look back at the Bible, there's, there's some of that. I'm not saying prophecy doesn't work that way, that, that God's not in that. But the majority of the time, God is far less concerned with the end result as he is the process that you go through in getting to that end result. I've had times where God has told me a promise, he's to, or he's told me something, you know, giving me like the name of a city to pray for or something like that. And I've, I've thought, oh, okay, well, I'm going to end up moving to this city. And I seek his face and I pray and I pray and I pray. I think I've, I've told you guys some of this story before. But there was one time God woke me up in the night and I, I heard him, audibly heard him. It's one of the few times I've heard his voice. He said, Provo, U- Provo Utah. And I was like, okay, pack our bags, Janna, we're moving. And she said, well, uh, you can probably commute. And so that was a true conversation. That's what she said to me. <laughs> but I prayed, and I, I sawed his face, and I, I, I prayed, and I fasted for 21 days. And at the end, I felt I felt like I was going to get like a call or something that was going to clarify all this, and nothing, nothing. I got to the end of the fast; 21 days were over. Absolutely nothing. Crickets. It's frustrating. And I remember I met with my father-in-law, and he said, I told him, and I told him I'm frustrated. He said I, f- I thought God was going to give me an answer. And he said, Jeremy, you know what I hear? I hear that you heard God's voice and you sought his face. And I think God's good with that. And I think that's enough. And I thought, dang it, I missed another one. You know, Van's life lessons that I think I'm real mature and far along in the faith and then he just kicks me down. Right? But but I learned something through that process. God's not nearly as interested in the answers as I am, is he? Not nearly. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you're walking through a storm right now and you are so busy seeking God for answers. And God is saying, stop seeking answers and seek me. Abraham, every step of the way, God says, Abraham, leave your family, leave your hometown, leave everything you know and love. And Abraham says, all right, God, where are we going? He says, I'll tell you when you get there. Just start walking. And he goes. He says, Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son. He says, God, why? I'll tell you when you get there. Right? Every step along the way. Incredible faith. And Abraham goes. He doesn't say, because what we do is we dig in, don't we? Christian, preaching to myself here, right? I dig in. No, God. I'm not taking the first step until you tell me what I'm doing. Guess who wins that battle? <laughs> right? And if you win that battle, you lose, right? You don't, you don't win battles against God. <laughs> but we dig in until we have all the answers. When God's saying, I want you to move, and I'll tell you when you get there. We end up never moving. We end up staying still. And we miss the opportunity to see God do incredible things. Because we don't have the faith to take that first step. That's what faith is. Not trusting in an end result. Because here's the thing if God says, Jeremy, plant the gospel house, and I'm going to grow you to 5,000 people in two months, and you're going to be the most popular church in the world, and people are going to put you on television and billboards and internet things and all the stuff, then guess what I do? Then I plant a church for those results, not for God. Right? God says, trust who I am. Trust me and take a step knowing that I am with you. That's what he wants, us to be with him. Paul says it like this. This is from our our chapter in Romans 4 a little bit later. He says, For this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, that is God, who gives life to the dead, and calls into being things that do not exist. In hope against all hope. He being Abraham believed. So that he might become the father, a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith. He contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old. And the de- deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God. He did not Waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully assured that God what God had promised he was also able to perform therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness in hope against all hope Abraham believed God anyone there you know what it's like to have hope against hope Has anybody had to hope against hope, where things are so dark, where things are so broken and messed up, and they've been that way for what seems like forever, that you cannot even see a way out, that you have to hope against hope? We do that, don't we, because we don't want to let ourselves down. You're as good as dead. The promise of God is as good as dead. And it feels like you can't hold on any longer. But if we just hold on, if we just believe, Abraham believed God. Now it's interesting because some translations of Genesis 15, 6 say that Abraham believed in God and God credited that to him as righteousness. That's not what the Hebrew says, though, y'all. If you read the NASB, it's not what the NASB says. Good translations don't say that. Okay? It says Abraham believed God. There is a difference in believing in God and believing God. God does not want this generalized faith in him. Oh, yeah, you know, you hear this a lot today. Yeah, I, I believe there's a higher power. I, you know, I think, I think there's something bigger out there, right? You've heard that? Yeah, I, I mean, sure, you want to call him or her or whatever her personal pronouns she chooses God? You want to call it God? Sure, or, you know, just a power or an energy or a being. That's, that's a general faith in God, right? God doesn't want that. I don't think heaven's going to be filled with that, people who have a general faith, Right? I mean, it kind of defies Jesus dying on a cross, doesn't it? But God wants you to believe Him, to believe Him in the character of who He is. That He is good, that He is strong, that He loves you, that He can see, like Jana read that, that beautiful illustration. He sees your life being woven into the fabric of human history. And y'all, I can't see that. I can't see the impact that Jeremy Allen Metzger makes in human history. All I do is I see the underside. And y'all, you have, guys have ever looked at like a, a, a quilt or a blanket or whatever when you look at the back side of it, it's like, ugh. Right? If somebody was like, hey, look, I made this quilt for you, and they show you the wrong side, you're like, oh, beginner. <laughs> Clearly, you don't know what you're doing, right? But then they flip it around. And it's like, oh, my goodness gracious, right? The, the, the front looks completely different than the bottom. We cannot even begin to fathom what God is doing. But, y'all, when we get to heaven and we look down on the whole timeline of human history, we'll see, okay, God, I get it. I had to go through that. Abraham trusted that when he got to heaven, he would see that God is good. And because of that, Abraham trusted God. He believed God. So when God said, Abraham, leave everything you've ever known and loved, Abraham was able to say, okay, I can do this. Not because I'm strong, but because I know who you are, God. Right? The church today preaches, you can do it because you know you are strong. False. False, y'all. You're weak. You're weak. Right? You try to step out on the edge by yourself. I, I've tried it. I've fallen on my face every time. But when I believe God, when I step out in Him, He catches me every time. Every time. The safest place you can ever be is in the palm of His hands. Step by step in his will for your life. It feels dangerous, but it's not. We should be scared of everything else. Abraham believed God. And every step of faith he took, he became stronger. And this is a a key principle here, y'all. Every step you take of obedience to the Holy Spirit, you will grow stronger in your faith. There are some of us here, at Karen, I'm going to tell on you, I'm sorry, I didn't ask your permission before I did this, but it's a good thing. So we, we, we had this membership class a couple months ago, and, and we were meeting, and there was a Sunday, somebody new came to the Gospel House, and Karen shared with us in this membership class that when she came in, she saw her, and she just felt something say, go sit with her. Go, go sit with this person, make them feel welcome, you know, talk to them, all that stuff. And so she, she did. She did what she was supposed to do. And then afterwards at the membership thing, she shared with, with everybody there, like, it just feels so good to do what God tells you to do. And, and I, I can remember Karen was even, you know, was, was even humbly saying, like, oh, it was just, it was a silly thing. It was a little thing. Y'all, there's no such thing as small steps of obedience. Because every time you take that step of obedience, y'all, I, I am positive. There there are probably all of us sitting in this room today, there's something God's telling you to do. And there may be some of you who are pushing it off because you're like, ah, it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. It's not a big deal. There There are no such things as small steps of obedience. Because just like Abraham, God didn't start with Abraham by saying, kill your son. That's not where he started, right? Abraham's faith had to grow. Because if God comes to you right off the bat and says, kill your son, not many of us are going to start with that, right? It's like, eh, I'm good, right? But God shows himself faithful through these little steps of obedience that we take. You guys remember my little story that I told about preaching the gospel to all creation where I went out and I put the little thing of water out for the bird and the bird came and drank it, but it didn't really, right? You remember that? But, but with that, it's a small step of obedience. The bird flew away as soon as I walked out the door. For those of you who haven't heard the story, God told me to go take a cup of water out to this bird who was trying to get water out of an ice cube. It was like trying to peck water in the middle of winter. So I did, and it'd be great if the bird flew over and took a drink of water, but it didn't. It flew away as soon as I walked out the door. But it's that step of obedience that grows the faith, right? We think that it's the fruit, We think that it's the results, that I'm going to take this step of obedience and God's going to knock it out of the park and I'm going to see miracles and healing. That won't grow your faith. It will. I mean, that stuff grows your faith. But apart from God, it doesn't grow your faith. In fact, sometimes it can actually turn us the wrong way. Sometimes we see these miracles performed and we start having faith in the miracle itself. To then when we pray and a miracle doesn't happen, all of a sudden our faith falls, right? Because our faith wasn't in the God who performed the miracle. Our faith was in us or the miracle itself. And so we've got to take those steps of obedience. God didn't start Abraham on these giant steps of obedience, it started with the small. Jesus teaches this. When you are faithful with the little things, you show him that you can be faithful with the big things. Take that small step of obedience. Because it's the small steps of obedience that lead to our righteousness. Because just like Abraham, our righteousness is not our own. It is a borrowed righteousness. It's credited to us. When God tells Abraham in Genesis fifteen six that he's crediting him righteousness because of his faith, he's not just talking to Abraham. He's talking to us as well. Look at what Paul says in Romans 4. Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to to whom it will be credited, to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our wrongdoings and was raised because of our justification. Abraham looked forward to, to the cross of Jesus Christ. Abraham knew that the Messiah was going to come. He didn't know what he was going to look like. He didn't know how he was going to come, but he knew what God had promised. And so Abraham knew, because of God's promise, because of who God is, that God would be faithful to that promise. We, on the other hand, look back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Abraham looked forward, We look back, we know what Jesus did, we know what Jesus said and how he acted, we have the gospel to look at, and the gospel shows us without question that God is faithful. Christian, we do not look to the gospel nearly enough to show us God's faithfulness. I know that's funny to say to a group of Christians, right? We should, we should look to the gospel all the time. But when things get hard, when life happens ways that we don't expect, ways that we don't particularly like, we have to look back to the gospel. If God was faithful through the cross of Jesus Christ, faithful enough to save the entire world through his son's sacrifice, then why do I struggle so much to believe that he can be faithful through my suffering? God brought the salvation of the entire world, our very souls, through one horrific event. The biggest travesty that this human race has ever known. Jesus Christ being condemned to die. The only perfect man to ever walk this earth. Accused as a criminal and hung on a cross. Is it that hard to believe that God's working on something incredible in the midst of my trials? Now, I can't hit on this too hard because we have Romans 5 coming next week. And Romans 5, we'll talk about this very thing. So there's a little cliffhanger for everyone to come back next week. But we should be able to look back at the gospel and to believe that God is faithful. The gospel is all the evidence, y'all, that we will ever need to believe God. So why don't we do it? Why don't we look back at the gospel? And when we do look back at the gospel, why don't we believe? And what do we do when that happens? Because let's be honest, y'all. I'll be honest. I look back at the gospel, and I still struggle to believe. Anybody? You're really going through it? You're going through a trial that you just cannot understand? Right? Don't pretend like I got three eyes, right? We've all been through it. And we look back at the gospel, but yet the questions still remain. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What do we do? What do we do when that happens? And the answer is really easy, and we don't do it nearly enough. My favorite prayer, one of my favorite prayers in the Bible, it comes from Mark 9. Jesus had just come down from this mountain where he was transfigured. Before he was, uh, Peter, James, and John went with him up on this mountain. He gets transfigured. That's just a fancy way of saying they actually got to see Jesus the way he's going to look in heaven. So he goes up on this mountain, he transforms into heaven Jesus, they see him, he's shining white, like it's just this crazy experience. Then they come down off the mountain, and when they get back, their disciples, the other disciples are all arguing with each other, and there's this guy kind of standing around. And Jesus walks up and says to the man, like, hey, what's going on? And turns out the man has a son who's possessed by a demon. And this demon throws him into these violent seizures and tries to kill the kid, and Just this crazy, crazy stuff. And so Jesus says, this is from Mark 9, he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. I love this because this is the most honest prayer in the Bible. And I have prayed it many times. Very recently, if I'm being honest. God, I believe you. I believe who you are. Help me with my unbelief. As English teacher, I, you, some of you know I used to teach English, but English teacher nerd here, look at how this sentence ends. When this father cries out, you guys see the exclamation point there? Now we're told that the father cries out, so that gives us one indication, but then there's an exclamation point. Now let me tell you something. The Bible is not like a teenage girl's journal. I used to teach high school, middle school English, and so I had lots of teenage girls who were required to write in these journals. Every single sentence ended in an exclamation point. Every single one. And so as a good English teacher, I would tell them, you know, part of, as a writer, you have to save your exclamation points so that they're powerful, right? Because if you're like, I went to school today. I saw Jimmy in the hall. Then we had lunch, right? Nothing's powerful. When everything's powerful, nothing's powerful, right? And so, and uh, girls, it's not just girls. I've seen boys who write like that too. Take it easy on the exclamation points. The Bible saves exclamation points to make points powerful. You don't see a ton of them in the scriptures. So when you read this, you read, now I have to asterisk this exclamations, punctuation, all that stuff. It's not inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? It's put in there by the editors. So the NASB translators, they're the ones who put the exclamation at the end of this. It wouldn't have been, but they do it for a reason, right? Because it tells us the boy's father cried out. And then we see this exclamation point, which means he's really punching it with Jesus. And anyone, anyone who has walked through this, here on Mother's Day, moms, when you pray for your children and those prayers aren't going the way you wish they would, is there a more desperate prayer on this planet than the prayer of a parent praying for their child? There isn't, is there? This man is crying out to Jesus. He is saying, Jesus, I believe you. I have seen what you've done. I've heard the stories. I've seen you move. I trust God. I trust that He is good. But I don't understand why you're not moving. I don't understand why you're not doing what I ask. God, I'm bringing every mustard seed of faith I have to you. But help me with what's left. Help me get the rest of the way there. I know that what I have isn't good enough, but I want to get there. Help me with my unbelief. This is a gut-wrenching cry from a desperate man. And church, there is not a stronger prayer that can be offered by you. So many times Christians are taught from the pulpit of churches to fake it. To pretend, if you just have enough faith, God will move mountains, right? And I'm not saying it's not true because it's scriptural, it's in the Bible. But guys, Jesus doesn't say if you have enough faith, He says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, right? Which means Jesus isn't saying, all right, sir, if you want your son healed, you go home and you sit there and you squeeze your eyes together until you have enough faith to come back here and ask me properly. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, I see the faith that you're bringing and you've brought it to the right person. And he heals the man's son. Completely, perfectly. He doesn't criticize him. He doesn't chastise him. He heals him. Without another word, Jesus heals his son. Guys, even our belief isn't ours. Our beliefs, there's this weird teaching in the church today that belief is the thing that you bring to the table, right? That God exists out here and, right, we believe in grace and grace covers all and mercy covers all and it's all on him. But you've got to believe. You've got to bring, you bring belief. And the more belief you have, right, it's that name it and claim it garbage, right? And some of y'all have been burned by it before. Because unfortunately there are Christians out there who will tell you, well, you didn't believe enough. If the miracle didn't happen, it's because you didn't believe enough. Lie from the pit of hell a lie from the pit of hell. And again, right, let's jump back to Romans 1 and 2 and 3, probably somewhere in 4 2. We don't judge those people, right? Those people aren't the enemy, but they need to be taught a better way. Even belief, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Even our belief, God himself is the one who has to open our eyes. He has to do it. And so for us to be healed of this, of our lack of belief, guys, we've got to learn to pray these prayers, which means you can't fake it with God. And sometimes, guys, and look, God's good, so sometimes we fake it with him and he answers us anyway, right? But sometimes, guys, I think the answers are waiting for us to stop faking it and start being real with him, to come to God and be like, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. What are you doing? What is going on here? But, guys, that shows humility in our walk with God, doesn't it? We live in a culture that's obsessed with knowledge, and so we want to have all the answers. Y'all, not in front of God. Don't approach God like that. God doesn't need Google to search all the answers, right? We do. I mean, it's nice now because if I'm having a conversation, I can become an expert on anything as fast as I want. Siri, uh, who won the game last night? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Scherzer went six innings. Man, yeah. Did you see him? God doesn't need Google, y'all. He's the real expert. And I think the quicker we are honest with him about how we're feeling, we're honest with him about our struggles in our Christian walk, the quicker we are on a road to healing. Because God doesn't want pretenders. He wants you to be real with Him. And if we're real with Him, if we come humbly before Him, we will find every time that God is there to extend His credit to us. Every time. And God's credit is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where Genesis 15 is so remarkable the promise of the gospel before the gospel even happened. And so I know, I know that some of you have heard this before, but we're going to walk through it again. For those of us who haven't, and as a reminder, for those, of, for those of you who have, I hope we never get tired of this story. But this is the story we hear of Abraham from Genesis 15, where he makes the covenant with God. It says, so he said to him, this is God speaking to Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he, Abraham, brought all these to God and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down against the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Now it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between these pieces. Now this is how these covenants worked. Whenever a king would conquer another nation, part of him allowing that nation to survive was, you got to promise to obey me, right? I'm the king now, you got to do what I say. And so what they would have to do is they'd have to cut all these animals in half, make a little aisle out of them, and then the person who was conquered would walk between the pieces and say as a visual representation, all right, king, if I break my promise to you, if I stop obeying you, See these animals? This is, this is what's going to happen to me. You have the right to do that. That's our agreement. And that was how it worked. But God does the unimaginable. And this is what is absolutely incredible about the gospel. It's what's absolutely incredible about Genesis 15. Y'all, this, I mean, and, and Genesis 15 happened 2,000 years before Jesus. So this is the promise. This is God saying 2,000 years before the gospel Y'all, here's what's coming, because God causes Abraham to fall asleep, saying to Abraham and to us, listen, y'all, even if you wanted to try to make me this promise, I'm not going to let you. Even if you wanted to try to tell me, oh, yes, God, I'm going to be a perfect obeyer, and I'm going to do everything you say, and I'm going to do it, God, he won't let us. He will not let us because then this flaming torch and smoking oven and what we miss in the Hebrew there, those are the same Hebrew words that are used when God comes on Mount Sinai and meets with Moses. This is God himself passing between the pieces, which means that God himself says, Abraham, if you fail to live up to this covenant, and the covenant of God is very simple, but it says this. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's, what, that's the basis of God's covenant. If you fail to recognize me as God, if you fail to be mine completely, and you serve other gods, and you run after other things, and you screw up, you or your descendants, if you do, I will bear the entirety of this punishment. I will be torn to pieces like these animals. And then in perfect symmetry, we've got Genesis 15, we fast forward to Mark 15, where we see this scene play out. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard him, they began saying, look, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw that he died in this way, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Y'all, this is the covenant. This is the fulfillment of every promise that God makes to us. This is the love of God, the mercy of God, the life of God poured out for us, for all of mankind, so that we can come to Him as His beloved people, and we can claim him as our God. This covenant that God promised to Abraham and fulfilled through the cross of Jesus Christ, this is the credit of righteousness that God gives us for all of eternity. It's our promise that God will always be faithful. Like I said, this is the safety net that catches us. We can stand on this and know that God will never fail, because Jesus Christ was torn to pieces." Paul says it this way in Romans 4:23 through25. says, "He who was delivered over because of our wrongdoings and was raised because of our justification." sorry, it's just verse 25. Guys, Jesus did nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong, right? And yet, he was treated as if he had broken the law like us. God doesn't fail. He has never failed. God didn't fail on his end of the covenant. And he didn't fail on his promise to cover our end. We are the ones who messed it up. We are the ones who screwed everything up. We failed to live the way that we're supposed to. Even those of us who say we believe, right? But just like God promised Abraham when he passed between the pieces, he covered our trespasses. He was torn apart for our wrongdoings. Right when Satan had thought he won the war, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. For our justification. Guys, now when we stand in this cosmic courtroom and God goes to sentence us, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees only what Jesus Christ has done. Your righteous deeds, y'all, he doesn't see them. God doesn't see them. All he sees are the deeds of Jesus the deeds that the Holy Spirit has told you to do. Even our righteousness isn't our own, y'all. It's all dependent upon Jesus. You stand justified, fully justified. But we can only claim that when we stand in Him. Y'all, it is going to be a scary thing for a lot of people when we face that judgment seat of God and try to stand in the righteous things that we've done. God, I've done all of these great things for you. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. Y'all, the people who will be accepted are going to be the ones who say, God, look at what Jesus did. And we point all of our deeds, everything we do points to Jesus. And God will say, you are fully justified. When we stand in his righteousness, the righteousness that he has credited to us, because we believe, then God sees Jesus when he looks at us. And you stand fully justified before your God. Gospel house, look to your God and believe. He has left no room for doubt. God has answered every question that we could ever need answered through the gospel. But, if, you still have doubts whether there are doubts about jesus being your savior you know those those questions get asked a lot god you don't know what i've done i've done too much i've th- there's no way i could be forgiven for, lies y'all lies there is no one who is too far from god there is no one to whom god won't extend mercy but you've got to come or maybe you're struggling with doubts because of your circumstances. You're in the middle of a situation and you just don't understand what God is doing. It hurts. Don't seek answers, though, y'all. I think that's where a lot of us get lost in the weeds. And I, maybe they're not weeds, maybe they're flowers, right? I heard somebody say that once, right? Dandelions aren't weeds, they're flowers. Right? So let them grow wild in your lawn. Right? But they're flowers. The problem that we have with flowers is if we're walking on this path following after God and we see these flowers off to the side, it can get real easy to come off the path and start walking after the flowers, can it? And after a while, you've gotten so deep into the flowers that you can't find your way back to the path. I think a lot of times that's what happens when we seek God looking for answers we want answers to these questions i'm not saying the answers are important don't hear that 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 tends to make people feel like you're undermining their trials that's not what i'm saying but what i am saying is the answers fit into a much bigger picture and if we seek the right thing the answers will come if they're meant to come don't seek answers Seek him. Come to the feet of Jesus. Throw up your hands and cry out, Lord, I believe. But I want to believe more. Help me with my unbelief. And stand in awe of him when he responds. God might not respond with the answers. I told you all last week, I love the book of Job. But that's my favorite thing in the book of Job we get to the end of the book of job and all through the book of job god asks or job asks all these questions of god if i see god face to face i'm going to ask him and i'm going to tell him i've done nothing to deserve this i'm going to ask him why i'm suffering the way that i'm suffering i'm going to i'm going to tell him and i'm going to say to his face and god shows up god shows up and job stands face to face with the lord almighty And God doesn't answer a single one of Job's questions. God doesn't say, Job, the reason you've been suffering is because X, Y, Z. He doesn't say, Job, you're right. You are righteous. I was just doing this to see. He doesn't say any of it. He says, Job, this is who I am. Look at me. Believe me. I am good and I love you. I am strong, and I am for you. And when he's done, Job says, God, you're right. I don't need the answers. Y'all, when we give up seeking answers, and we just seek God, every time, whether he answers or not, every time you will walk away from that encounter knowing that Jesus Christ is all you will ever need in this life and the next amen amen
0: thank you for listening to the gospel house podcast we pray that you're pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day if you found today's message impactful do us a favor and hit the follow button leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.